Yeah, this was right before the last mm. season. They've done six seasons. Have they done six or have they done more? Uh, they've done seven. There's a few little like um teasers at the back. Alright, they do Hellboy and Witcher and Dragon Age and what else? Umbrella uh, Academy. Academy. Have you seen that yet? Mm-hmm. I thought I read it. Yeah, you're old school. Go watch it. You've got the time. It's raining. I've got the time. Ha 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 ha. Oh, that makes sense. They also you're do the so Rick and Morty book. Very well. Swim. They, they do the Rick and Morty one as well. Do they? Yeah. I have no time. No time like the present. Just don't sleep. No time in Just the present. Just don't sleep. Just don't sleep. Oh, I need that. That's most of the reason why I don't have time. Alright. Ladies. What? Are you ready? Does it sound good? Yeah. Ladies and future boys, welcome to the School for Wayward Nerds. Um, you know that feeling when a woman takes their bra off inside their shirt? No. I do. There we go. There you go. Um, we're it's, like that, but we're, we're the podcast equivalent of taking off your sock with the shoes still on. My name is Terry DePola, and this week I'm returning to cover another season of probably my favourite TV series, The Venture Bros. Um, but this time is a little different, because I have watched it an ungodly amount, thus producer Kyle. Has a Moses sister. Yeah, you've probably seen it all at least once. I don't know. Just through osmosis. There's a couple of episodes that you've shown me clips from that I'm like, I don't want to that. Okay. But you've been around the block enough. Yeah, I know it all. You're the gist of it. Um, however, we are joined by Mr. Bobo Jenkins. Hello. Now, I don't believe you are even aware of this show. No, I have no idea about <laughs> it. I'm just looking at the artwork now and I'm going to be, you're going to convince me to watch it. Yep. Yeah, because as part of the Save Team Venture movement, uh, I'm here to sell the show to poor hostages. I mean guests. Yep. We are, we're up to season three here on the podcast. Um, I'm sure I will be probably spoiling the first few seasons as I go, but it's a good point to do this. Season one of the show is just a Johnny Quest parody, and season two, it starts to find its footing, and by season three, it actually seems to hit its stride. It knows what it wants to be and where it's going. So without further ado, we will talk about where we are right now. Yeah. Alright. So, after the events of like the big season two finale showdown at Cremation Creek, uh, it ends on a cliffhanger. Um, the monarch. Um, Kai, do you want to give a quick rundown? The you got monarch, a sentence. The monarch is the main villain. Mm-hmm. He is dresses like a um, butterfly, and uses that motif. For his entire, you know, setting. Okay. He's purposely based on, like, a lot of, like, cheesy, maybe Silver Age villains. He reminds me of that that villain from, like, what is it, Phineas and Ferb. (laughs) (laughs) He's got got that sad posture, actually. Yeah, you're right. Um, Him and his his partner, Dr. Girlfriend. Is that her real name? Yeah, she's his girlfriend. We don't she hear has, her actual first she, name she, for like six seasons. It's she weird. has quite a few names. We'll get to that. I know. Yeah, foreshadowing. Um, so they were about to get married in the last season, mm-hmm. but like this, there's this big thing that goes down, um, and she has a secret. Uh, in the final episode of season two, it ended her with her saying, Monarch, I'm dot, 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 and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, she said it in her famous voice. Uh, if you could um, edit it in, um, or look, or f- do you want me to find it? I, I can do it. I'm, I'm what is this? fast. I see his back tattoo. Oh, he's got a back tattoo? Yeah. Of course. Of, of a minute or some reason. 
You know what I love about sexist clowns like you guys? You actually think you're nice guys. What the fuck? You never hit a girl. I can do this. That's her voice. Her voice. <laughs> Alright, so we come back in at this point. Bobo, what did you just hear? What, just describe it to the listeners. Like oh, this deep voice of a lady. What is she? Is she do a trans or is she? No, no. She is a full lady. But like she has people, the vocal. People tone. ask that no, throughout the lady. show to figure out what that Could deal you, is. Yeah, and what is she a smoker? She is all uh, yes. woman. She's a smoker though. She's a yes. very intense smoker. Um, you only catch her out like once because she doesn't do it do it in front of the monarch who has like a really nasally like skeletal voice. Okay, so that makes sense. She's a smoker. All right, so th- so the quick rundown because we've we've covered it on a possibly missing episode at this point. Um, in the original pilot, the sh- the show is created by two people, um, Jackson Public and Doc Hammer, um, which are great stage names. <laughs> so they in their pilot. They just didn't have a female voice actor for that part, so one of them just did it, and they thought it was funny. And then they actually got picked up and started the show. And um, <laughs> um, yeah. So one of them was doing the voice for the pilot. Yeah. And they thought it was funny. So when the show actually got picked up, the dude who voiced. All right. So it would have been Jackson Public in the pilot because Doc Emmett normally does it. Season three. Here we are. He um. One of them's like, we can't keep doing this. So the other one said, don't worry, I'll do it. Yeah. So it just swapped male voice actors. And it just, it like, just kept it going. So each character has its person. So there's two henchmen. You've got Mr. Monarch and Doc's girlfriend. You've got... Henchman 21, 24, Hank and Dean. Um, Doc and Brock. No, no, Brock's like a like an actual voice actor. No, but they're like they're each other's foil. A lot of a lot of it's it's a very conversational heavy show. So everyone's everyone's kind of like got their buddy that they talk to. Yeah, and it's usually Doc and Jackson just bickering in a voice. Okay. All right. So public wanted the monarch. I'm dot 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 to be a pregnancy twist. Um, and Doc Hammer wasn't into it. Uh, the problem is in the writing room is the doctor girlfriend is a really strong and capable character in her element that said she would either be no use in the show anymore because she'd be taking care of a kid or worse of a neglectful mother if they keep her going in the show so there was sort of no good way about doing it so they ditched the mother thing they never explicitly finish her sentence but it ends up being a more work orientated direction which fits the character a lot better actually very career driven woman Alright, so, episode one of this season is a good one to bring strangers to, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's called um, Shadow Man 9 in the Cradle of Destiny. Um, this episode begins with the wreckage of the cocoon, which is the Mighty Monarch's big floating lair. It's like, li- like I said, all of his stuff is butterfly motif. Okay. So he has a cocoon. Yeah. Um... We also see the Moppets take control of his henchmen. I don't like them. They're Moppets. Yeah. I I explain it later. I've got it in here later. Because there's flashbacks in this episode. Yeah. They're they're Dr. Girlfriend's henchmen. Her henchmen. Okay. Her little right-hand man. Um, This episode ends with them in charge of the... And the cocoon getting rebuilt by many villains showing up at the end of the episode. That's the Moppets. (laughs) Terrifying, angry little faces. 
Um, but that's not why this is a good episode for newcomers. Awesome. Okay. Is that going? Oh, yeah, is that a car? I thought that was a lawnmower. No, that's a car. That's an unhealthy car. Alright, so the meat and potatoes of this episode is the fact that it is an origin tale. Very flashbacky. Okay, folks. So, the agency in charge of villainy in this show is called the Guild of Calamitous Intent. Uh, they run a group, oh, they're run by a group called the Council of Thirteen and a mysterious figure named the Sovereign. Um, these people are like the union in charge of villainy. So they would be the ones organising the Legion of Doom and, like, every villain in this thing, which is taking stuff from Marvel and DC anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of covering everything. The Council are interviewing Monarch and Dr. Girlfriend about their connections to Phantom Lin, who is a cunning villain who turned against the Guild in the last season. He was, like, a big traitor. Um, he's called Phantom Lim because his limbs are invisible. Okay. That's... They can zap people, but that's the gist of it. Um, what the fuck is that? That's a that's a penis, but it's um a guy. Don't worry, I'll talk about him. He's one of my favorites. The penis, not the guy. <laughs> oh, couple. <laughs> that's a sentence. Um, I think we just found the title. All right, good. I hope you wrote it down. Um, anyway, back when so they start to explain their connection to this phantom limb guy. Mm-hmm. When Doctor Girlfriend was just a normal person, she was dating Hamilton who is Phantom Limb, who reveals that he is the Phantom Limb and pretty much introduces her to the guild. Um, from here she joins, uh, she does a small time like traineeship program under the title Lady Au Pair, mm-hmm. which is like a maid. I think I had to Google it, but now I forget what it was. No pair is a nanny. Yeah, yeah, and, that's, and she has the two little moppets, which are just violent dwarves, not actual children. They love to stab the shit out of people. And it's mostly a goofy villain gimmick show. So it's very fun when they just, like, stab a guy in his chest. Um, yep, so that's where they come in. Uh, anywho, she is excelling, and it's time for her to kind of, like, go into, like, the work experience. What's that one where you, like, hung out with teachers? Is that just work experience? Or did they have a fancy name? Placement. Placement, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she's getting put in placement. Um, she will be an existing villain's number two for a little while. Um, kind of like Echo and Query were for Riddler. Yeah. Or Kronk you, for gotta... Yzma. Or Harley Quinn for Joker, of course. Um, she's picked by Phantom Limb, of course. Uh, and we see that one of his henchmen is a young monarch. Yep, so the twist is that Monarch was working under Phantom Limb. Which contradicts something in Season 1, but it also can be chalked up to Monarch is a shit talker at all times. And is just being dismissive of Phantom Limb. Oh yeah, he hates him. Oh yeah. All these characters are just so interesting. I do love... Sorry, um, for those at home, Bobo's only knowledge comes from the Go Team Venture art book. So he's, was, so he's mostly like... That was dropped in front of him like five minutes ago. So he's mostly just like flicking through looking at all the cool crowd seeing, shots. Seeing like a guy's penis with a face and then there's a screw head. There's a guy's dressed like a PowerPoint. Yeah. They have a very like unique art style. So but what, it's also completely not unique. It's like a yeah. weird blend of... Golden Age comic, so Saturday morning cartoon in the 80s. It does remind me of, like, some cartoons. But, okay, so are these villains? Um, let's see. Good guy. Good guy dressed as villain. Henchman. Uh, good guy. But once, the more you look into him, you realize what a corrupt piece of shit he is. Okay. More on that probably later. Do you know what what this is? Mm? 
It's if you asked a guy to sit down and you're like, hey, draw a Johnny Quest from memory. Yeah. <laughs> hey, draw Kite Man from memory. Yeah, and this is pretty much how it ends up. Yeah. All right, so Malcolm, what's that's the monarch's real name, uh, we'll, we'll follow him up to this point in the timeline where he's working for Phantom Link. All right, so he hates Rusty Venture. I would say he is the main character of the show. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bring up a picture of him. Um, he's this little fella here. Scrawny little nerd man doctor. Mm-hmm. All right. So Monarch hates the shit out of him. Um, they don't really. They still haven't really answered that. I hope I get another season. Um, yeah, he wants to thwart uh, Dr. Venture or Rusty or Doc or whatever you want to call him. Um, we see him blow up a science lab in college that he was in. Unfortunately, Rusty was away that class um, and leaves school shortly after because of his father's death. Um, Malcolm was doing this stuff before he really understood what the guild was at all or how it worked, um, which gives him a cool element, you know, like being a villain is very genuine for him. Mm-hmm. A lot of them take it as a job because it's a professional field in this universe. But he was sort of... Do- he was doing it on his own. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't say he's like a violent dude either. He just likes to be a villain. Yeah. All right, so he ends up taking a job as a henchman. Um, he was still trying to go for Rusty on the side. Uh, essentially, like, skipping the line and going against the guild's wishes. He would become the monarch. Um, still failing miserably to get to Rusty. And this brings us to the point where he meets Queen Etheria, um, which is Dr. Girlfriend, uh, before she's Dr. Girlfriend, yeah. uh, when she's the the Harley Quinn for Phantom Limb. Yeah. In her very revealing... I mean, it's outfit. mostly a transparent costume, yeah. Um, so, and because she's a number two to a number one, she can't, like, be with a henchman. Oh, that's a costume there. Mm-hmm. Transparent, except for um, some bits. I like the hat. It reminds me of, like, a nurse. Mm-hmm. Right. Also, Tiara, because she's Queen Ethereal. Oh, right. It doesn't look like one. It looks like it's made out of paper. Um, yeah, so Monarch has a crush on this girl. So being the Monarch is also, like, a move to get that. Um, and then he goes to a villain's ball to introduce himself properly. Um, it's packed full of cameos that end up mattering, like Silver St. Cloud's there. Silver? No, that's a Batman character. The, the St. Cloud guy's there. An early version of Think Tank Trucules is there, who's just a muscly man with a truck for a body. Um, I love the world building in this show. It's so good. Like, not to mention 21... I mean, sorry, Henchman 24 is Henchman 24 for Phantom Limb. Yeah. Like, we watched that guy stay at the exact station he's at for, like, presumably, like, 20 years. Um, so shortly after meeting, Monarch and Queen Etheria have sex in his weird furry car. Um, and it's kind of love at first sight there. I like that she doesn't necessarily, she's not necessarily a whore, but they have like a weird connection right off the bat. Um, she's the one who suggests that the Monarch has like a double meaning and introduces like the king aspects of the costume, like his crown and shit. Um, Phantom Limb finds out they're together and begins a vendetta against them. Um, after the flashback stuff, the Sovereign has Dr. Girlfriend and the Monarch married. Um, they move into Phantom Limb's old house now that he's in hiding. And he can't hench Dr. Venture anymore. No. He's taken off the case, you know what I mean? So, yeah, Kyle, you may have noticed 
that the season premiere was missing something important. I did. Every good guy? Yep. Yep. It's very set-up-the-bad-guy heavy. Yep. So episode two was originally the B story, but as both expanded, it was given its own, and that is The Doctor is Sin. This episode opens with uh, Rusty Venture. Mm-hmm. Um, he's trying to hire illegal immigrants at the border for cheap super science work. Yeah, they can't do it. Yep, so he's a scrawny little man. He's spoiled. He's rich. Absolutely no fucking morals. He lives in the power in the shadow of his powerful father. I'm just trying to set him up for the twist in this episode. His dad was an actual intelligent person. He was an adventure. He was the adventurer, and he was like the boy adventurer in like a seventies cartoon that was real life in this universe. Think like Indiana Jones and wannabe Indiana Jones, but small. Okay. So he's the wannabe. No, I mean, yeah, he was like the kid sidekick who's now like, he peaked as a child. So now he's just kind of like a fucking loser trapped in this world, yeah. Um, So uh, we're also showing him talking on the phone to his super successful brother, you know, the small leprechaun and the other Mm -hmm. character out there. Yeah. Um, Kai, can you summarize Jonas Jr. in a sentence? That's a tumor. Hmm. Think of everything that I just told you about the wannabe child star who thinks he's the greatest person. Jonas Jr. is what he wishes he was. Jonas Jr. is actually good at science. He's very intelligent. He's like super genius. Similar to our... um, So yeah, similar to our um, Constantine episode very recently. Check out our back catalog to hear that one. Um, He killed his twin in the womb. Mm -hmm. Or so we thought. The twin was, like, living inside him as a tumor and eventually escapes. And he's, like, it's like a little monster episode. Yeah. But they end up feeling bad for the guy and they just kind of, like, give him some of the rights to the Venture family because he's still technically a blood relative. And they send him off on his way and he's, like, the Steve Jobs of this universe. He's, like, so fucking successful. He has his little startup company. He invents, like, every, every successful Venture thing. Was either the dads from back in the day, or Jonas Juniors, and the real Rusty hates that. Like, there's literally ads in the background of him in like the color with the black silhouette and the headphones. Like he's the Apple guy. Like he's literally doing the iPod Shuffle ripoff. Um, yeah, they're on the phone talking to each other, and he's explaining. He's not bragging because he's like an infuriatingly nice guy. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's like inadvertently sort of like... It, this, the series is showing that he's doing fucking awesome. Whereas, he's like, oh, I'm inventing stuff and, you know, they've asked me to come and attend this university so that I can... I can give you another billion dollar degrees. loan if you need it. We're, we're family and Rusty's like kind of like, fuck you, man, <laughs> in his way. Um, and the, the phone call's cut short because Doc is taking an army general on tour of the Venture Compound. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is to make two points. One, it's sort of shown that venture industries hasn't progressed since the death of the father, um, Jonas. Um, you know, Rusty is down, out, and just has nothing going on. Every fancy invention he has has been sitting there since he was a boy anyway. Um, and point two is this season had a bigger budget, and the creators actually wanted to take the viewer on a bit of a tour of the new digs, now that it's actually mapped out and has backgrounds and... Yeah, they, they the, have rooms in the building actually like 
fit a certain layer. They have like like the Simpsons household. Yeah, like how season one of Simpsons house doesn't quite make sense yeah. until they properly map it out. It's, it's they're doing that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's it's a dumb goofy scheme that I like. That Doc has he's got all these like friends and family putting on like costumes and acting like scientific big shots to impress this general. Um, we also see that because Monarch has been taken off the case, an assortment of like newcomer villains are showing up to take the role. Um, but Kyle, none of this matters because um, Henry Killinger returns in this episode. Uh, Do you want to? Can you can you explain that guy at all? Uh, I'm throwing it away because he's like a Mary Poppinsy. He's a Mary Poppins, but for like we've seen him do it for villainy. He's there to like. Teach people how to be better at being evil. And he's he's based on, like, Kissinger, who is some political dude in the States. Very German. He's somehow really charming, despite being, like, very evil-looking. He's got his little murder bag. Yeah. Which I always love. Um, he, yeah, he's, he's like great. a consult to evil people. Oh, so he gives him advice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, he, but he's like, he loves his job. Yeah, he never he never wants to be anything other than the console. And he's and he's never a piece of shit. Like they're all horrible villains, but he's like genuinely cares about them. Yeah, it's really weird, but he's he, so he great. He comes in and he's like, "Look, I know you've been having a hard time. It's not your fault." And they're like, "We don't know if we can you, afford it." And he's like, "I'm I'm I'm, I'm like, part of the guild of Clamorous of Ten. I'm like, I don't cost anything. Like I'm here to help. I'm I'm a bonus to your membership. Yeah. Aww. Now, if you just follow my advice." We'll have a bit better time. Yep, so he's like... Oh, but I, I very German. Yeah, he's got a super German accent, but he's like super... He's like the mo- no, most nice character in the show for no fucking reason. Like, he rocks up as he's trying to fix Venture Industries, and there's a bunch of union guys being like, you can't do this, this, and this. And he's like... And he comes into the meeting, and they're like, where's Rusty? And he's like, oh, I'll be... I'll be standing in. I'm I'm Killinger, and this is my magical murder bag. <laughs> Which is just a very Poppins bag with a skull on it, so good. And, you know, they obviously have their complaints, and he's got the the contract in front of him. He's like, you can sign it. And they're like, we're not going to sign this. And he just opens the bag, and they, like, crumble into dust. <laughs> but, yeah, it's great. Um, he also evicts Dr. Orpheus, yeah. who is our, um, he's our Doctor Strange, literally in, in every sense of the word. Um, he buys Conjectural Technologies, which is the workplace of our um, albino lab assistant, Pete White, and mm-hmm. Billy Quizboy, who is like a grown-up version of those Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader type of quiz shows. That's all they have. They're like real They're like real underdogs in this universe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, they're, they're friends of the Venture family. They get bought up. Um, he pretty much removes Brock. He does it in a nice way. Like, he teaches him how to, like, tax write off being a bodyguard secret agent. Um, Brock is voiced by the guy's name. Um. Fuck. He's that super deep boy. He's Kronk from Emperor's New Groove. He's, oh, um, yeah, he was him. Lemony Snicket in the remake. Was he? Pedro, um, Patrick Warburton. Yeah. Burton. The wheelchair guy from Patrick, Family Guy. Patrick Warburton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got a big mullet. He's he wears it with pride. He's the one guy who can have a mullet. So he's got the same voice as the guy from Kronk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's really good. Um, he's one of the few people that are actually, like, acted by someone other than the two creators. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's, he's also, like, 80s action star-esque. 
So he will just mow down everything in his path with nothing but a knife. He's very fun. And, like, everyone is terrified of him, but he's very much to the letter. Mm. Like, um, there's one point where the monarch kidnaps him, I say in, you know, apostrophes, Mm. um, and he walks into, like, the monarch's cocoon, and everyone's like, oh, oh god, oh, Brock Samson's here, oh, oh. Um, We're fucked. Uh, he leaves them be for the most part, but then as that episode goes on, this is season one stuff. Um, like Monarch can't attack Venture at this point. That's why he's got them as hostages. There's like a collateral um, guild of calamitous intent. There's something going on, so they like can't be villains for a minute, and they're just sort of sitting around being bored because they have nothing but Venture. And he's like, "This is really sad." And they're like, they're embarrassed and kind of ashamed because they've got nothing. So he just starts systematically ex- like executing henchmen. So there's a threat that they can deal with, and yeah, he's literally just like murdering people. And Monarch's like, "Look, thanks for thanks." <laughs> he's like, "Don't mention it, buddy. We're, we're, it's all good." But yeah, he's like literally cutting the Achilles tendons out of people and shit. But there's like other times when like there's stuff going on and people are like, oh, shouldn't you step in? And he's like, oh, no, no, they'll handle it themselves. We're just going to sit here and oh, yeah, not he, he look anywhere. We're not going to do anything because they'll deal with it and clean it all up themselves so long as I don't get involved. Yeah, he, he follows the, the guild rules. He gets replaced by um Venchman, which is a stupid play on words, a henchman for Venture. Um, um, we've also got Killinger playing with the kids. Um, you've, you've got the, you know, the adventurer boy with dressing like Fred from Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Hank. And you've got the sensitive sweater boy, like if Peter Parker never became Spider-Man Dean. Okay. Both of them are extremely stupid. Yes. Well, they, they've been entirely educated by a bed that talks to them from like the 60s, so they're like super out of it. They're no, the bed they're no talks good. to them? Yeah, they're, they're kind of like the Hardy Boys. So their grandfather invented... A school in a bed. It just so when they go to when they go to sleep, the bed teaches them in their sleep. I don't know if it works. They haven't been to a school ever. They've just gone to sleep and been told facts from the sixties. And what year is this set? It's present day. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So they're not really intelligent. Yep. So, um, Killinger has like done a bunch of stuff to make. Venture Industries sort of start to get his shit together. Now he has to have Doc face his demons, which is a weird dream sequence featuring his father's big, depending on whether you have the DVD or you're streaming it, big circumcised cock. Yeah. Completely visible. Yeah. So is this covered up here? Um, No, it becomes Killinger because it has things to say to him in the dream sequence, hence why it's Killinger in the image. So he's a wise cock. He is in that bit. Um, you've also got, this is why he's dressed as a leprechaun. You've got Jonas Jr. as a leprechaun stealing the candy raining from the sky. Um, it's a fun twist at the end because it's all setting up. Killinger's training venture to join the Guild of Calamitous Intent. They're yeah. going to do a Cain and Abel sort of thing and have him go after his successful brother. And that's, the, I, I like that as a twist because it's, Everything about Rusty is shit. Yeah. He's just a piece of shit at all times. 
yeah. to the point where he's worse than most of the villains. Yeah. And it's just a fun play. But he, he thinks he's good. He thinks he's great. Um, but he doesn't obviously take the offer because he's our team, he's our show's good guy. Yeah, I, I like the play on that one. It would have been a good part of the season opening if it hadn't got scooched over for the sake of time. Next episode, Home is Where the Hate Is. In this episode, it's mostly building on Monarch adjusting to his new life. It's moving into Phantom Limb's place in an evil suburb called Malice. It's literally just a suburb for the guild members. Yeah. Cute. Um, he's burning all of Phantom Limb's stuff. Letting the Moppets live in his house, but the henchmen have to live in the cocoon. I like that they kind of treat them like pets. Um, Alright, so yeah, we're, um, this is us dealing with Sergeant Hatred, sort of, for the first time. Yeah. Um, he's a registered sex offender and can't be near children, but, you know, aside from that, he's a pretty by-the-book nice guy. It's hard to talk around that detail, but there you go. Yeah, he's a nice guy. He, he has a little party at his house to celebrate the venture, sort of, what, what would you call it, target, job? Yeah, he's he's been put in to be a, a, a um, main antagonist for Doctor Venture, so they have a little party, a little get together. It's nice. Um, he this is where he tells Monarch that he's mostly been an ass kissing villain to the Doc because it pisses off the Monarch. Yeah. See, Monarch has been stealing gadgets and weapons from Hatred for like years, and he's known about it this whole time. So he's sort of like villain cucking. Kind of. <laughs> to use That's, a phrase. Yeah. Um. I suppose. Yeah. Um, this episode show is also the one where we switch from doctor, girlfriend, and or wife to um, Dr. Mrs. the Monarch, which was that um, other costume that you had back there. It, not the yellow one. Um, and you've also got like a weird little side bit with um, 21 and 24 babysitting the Venture Boys for a little. Yeah. Um... I might, I might have been off on that one. I think she's still Dr. Girlfriend in this one. Oh, this is the one where it reveals that she smokes. Sorry. Yay. We don't have the new costume quite. Alright, so the episode following this one um, follows up on a few things. It's another flashbacky episode, which is good because it sort of gives you like a year one for these characters. Um, it covers the OSI, which is like Marvel, S.H.I.E.L.D. and G.I. Joe mixed together. Um, and you've also got a sub plot about Billy Quizboy and Phantom Limbs connection, which was referenced in the season two finale. I actually had to explain what the fuck that was. Yeah. Um this episode's called The Invisible Hand of Fate. Uh, yeah, and again, flashback episode mostly about Billy, White, and Brock. Yeah. Who I like that they explain Brock a little bit. They explain why he's like the best, most unstoppable killing machine and he's been put on babysitting duty essentially to bodyguard the venture family. Yeah, because it doesn't make sense that, like, he works for them. It will. Brock Brock is, like, the epitome of everything, like, a human should be. And Dr. Venture's just, like, a dude. Um, alright, so we see, in this one, we see Billy um, being a guest on a TV show called Quiz Boys. Again, the child genius stuff. Um, it's hosted by Pete White who's in disguise, as you can see here. I'm not going to say he's in blackface, but he's in fake tan. Well, he's an albino, so yeah, anything he wears is going to make him look darker. No, no, he's hiding the fact that he's an albino yes. by wearing the tan and I, shit. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, he cheats an answer, and there's like a big scandal. Um, it's revealed he did it to keep them together because they're both freaks. 
Mm. And that's when he reveals that it's an albino. Um, uh, so they take a road trip down to the venture compound in search of jobs, making money in illegal underground street quizzes. Um, when they arrive, there is no job waiting for them, and Billy is accidentally put into a dog fighting ring instead of a street quiz and gets his hand eaten off. Yeah. That's why he's got the robot hand, Kyle. I didn't know that. He got ate off by a Rottweiler. Well, that makes sense. There you go. Somehow. Yeah. Meanwhile, we have Brock and Hunter Gathers, who is a, another personal favourite character of mine. Is he in that roster? No, because they, they would have revealed him in an earlier episode. Um, so, instead of going after Sphinx, which is like the Cobra command substitute for these G.I. Joe knockoffs, um, they're chasing the myth of the Guild of Calamitous Intent. Not a confirmed thing yet. They're a little more Illuminati-esque in this flashback. Um... Yeah, so I like that Brock and Hunter are conspiracy theory outcasts in their OSI days. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. Um, I also love the cameos in this bit as well. Like, we don't just get Shaw leave, like an early version of him before he becomes like a main sort of dude around. But we see Race Bannon, who is the Brock Sampson of the Johnny Quest cartoon from the actual 70s. It's not Hannah Barbera thing. Um, and we also get the six million dollar man from the six million dollar man. Yeah. He's in here? Yes. Okay. It's kind of like the new Space Jam thing. It's a whole bunch of stuff that shouldn't be together together. Yeah, it's Is it Are they allowed to have it or is it just Look, I've got it in my notes uh, like later on, but I'll just run it through now. Venture Bros started as just a strict parody of those, like, shitty boy adventurer cartoons from back in the day, like Johnny Quest and the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and a million other different things similar to that. Because it was a parody, they were allowed to use Johnny Quest characters, like Race Bannon, uh, or Johnny himself, and eventually they would use Dr. Z as, like, a main fucking villain throughout the show's run. <laughs> like, they could fully keep that guy. But... Between the space of season two and three, the uh, I don't know who does the copyright ratings for parody. I don't know how that shit works. But it stops being a parody and starts to be its own beast at this point. Because so, the they didn't think they were going to get this far into this show. And they got very, not fan theory, but they definitely like start taking it seriously and world building, obviously. So they weren't allowed to use these characters anymore by name. <laughs> Which is why it suddenly becomes Action Johnny instead of Johnny Quest later in this season. And why these two characters can't have speaking roles right now. But eventually it's weird again because it's an adult swim show. Which eventually bought the rights to Hanna-Barbera. Hence some um, Space Ghost and Harvey Birdman. You know how they used to like straight steal those characters? Once they owned the rights, Venture Bros could start using those characters legally again. So they start there... They have to kind of, like, not talk about it, and then eventually they come back. Yeah. It's the weirdest broken copyright thing I've ever seen. That's the thing. It, it lived long enough to see it become legal again. Yeah. It survived the rule, I guess. Which is good, because I like Doctor Z in the later series. Yeah. Um, so, they, they, they grab Billy Quizboy who is a strange little amputee with his big head and his, you know, dwarfish body, um, they send him undercover to enroll in a school to become the teacher's lab assistant. The teacher in question at the time is... I love his fucking... How cliche his last name is. 
Professor Hamilton Phantomos. <laughs> Phantom Limb, eventually. Um, so it squares a little bit of his origin story in here as well. In a typical science experiment gone wrong, his limbs are pathetic shriveled little things and he's going to use super science to regrow them. Trouble is, Billy lied about a lot of his tests and doesn't actually know how to maintain the experiment and it goes pear-shaped. Hence, Billy gets his eye sucked out in like a vacuum-y thing and Phantom Limb becomes himself. It makes him... It's a little Sam Raimi Green Goblin too because it makes him crazy evil like Willem Dafoe in that movie. Um... Yeah, so that's fine. In the aftermath, Hunter Gathers is transferred off of pretty much any case. Mm-hmm. Um, Brock is assigned babysitting duty for going against OSI orders and fucking up and ha- leaving a professor presumed dead. Yeah. Which is why he's there, kind of. Yeah, he's in trouble. Um, and the twist here is that his commanding officer at the time, who do you know in the military in this show that has just appeared? Sergeant Hatred. Yeah. Who are hatred Yeah, he was in charge of their OSI stuff at the time. Yeah. That's why he's on babysitting duty. And then it's revealed he was in the guild at the time of this shit. He was like an inside man. It was really... It's great. I like it. Um, it also hints at Myra Brandish. Do you remember the crazy ex-girlfriend for Doc? Kind of. Convinced the twins are hers? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's some bits of her in here too, which is fun. Alright, so, I think after this point, they start to be a little less, like, super dense episodes. This one's a bit easier to swallow. The um, the next few are pretty calm. It's called the Buddy System. Um, this episode, Doc runs a day camp for boy adventurers. Uh, we see a lot of old faces having demonstrations at booths, including Action Johnny at this point, as opposed to Johnny Quest at this point. Um... I love him in this show because he's doing way worse. Like, Rusty's a washed-up loser who peaked early, whereas Johnny Quest is, like, so traumatized by his childhood adventures and constant kidnappings and monsters and going to space and the jungle and all this shit that he's, like, either completely strung out on heroin at all times or just a ball of frayed emotions when he's not pilled up. Yeah. He is not doing well in this episode. It's really great. Um, uh, we also meet Dermot in this episode, Kyle. That's... The, the shitty teenager who hangs out with Hank. So he comes into it thinking that he's Brock's long-lost child. Yeah, he's like a red herring sort of but thing. But he's really, like... He's a bit of an asshole. He's a big, like, edgelord douchebag. I'm sure, like, everyone knew a person in high school that relates to this guy. He is the jock of the football team. I wouldn't even say that. He'd be the guy who thinks he knows a lot about knives and kickboxing. Yeah. But really just plays a lot of Final Fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We have uh, Tim, Tom, and Kevin, which are the Muppets' names. Don't like the Muppets. No. They're going undercover as children. This sub... Plot only matters to my notes because this is when we first see Dr. Mrs. the Monarch's costume. Thoughts? <laughs> they went for it. Yeah. What does it remind you of? I don't know. Because it looks, it looks familiar, but I don't know what it reminds me of. Uh, look, what is it? Like those old cartoons. Oh, a little bit of like, a little bit of Mr. Mrs. Incredible. I don't know. Oh, the, I can see that in the hair, definitely. 
Yeah. Um, where am I going to see? Let's see. Um, I have a quote here, Kaya, from okay. Doc Hammer out of this book, in fact. You're getting confiscated. No! Just a warning. Yeah. Edit that out. Alright, so I got a quote here from the Go Team Venture Art book. Um, I can't do the voice of Doc Hammer, who is doing the voice of Dr. Gilfriend. Um, but he says, A good play- cosplayer should know how to fucking get yellow roots, give him a challenge. Yes, um, at this point, they'd seen a lot of Dr. Girlfriend cosplay showing up at panels, and they were surprised to see a few Queen Etheria costumes, which was sort of just bait. Yeah. And then, yeah, people started doing that, so they're like, fuck you, shiny white boots and huge tit windows. More it was, like it up was basically Elvira. like how, like, far can we push How much can fans? we push it, yeah. <laughs> oh. Um, anyway, it's just a fun episode. There's a rogue gorilla, a child dies and is cloned later. Um, it has a good Wilhelm scream, so it's thumbs up all around. Um, and I always love what a wreck Johnny is. Like, he's so fucked up all the time. Yeah, he did hard, hard alcohol after this show went off here. Yeah. Um, uh, next we have Dr. Quim, Medicine Woman. This one is every season has to have, like, a 60s flashback. I mean, it has the 60s flashback, but no, it has um either a jungle adventure or a pyramid adventure or a space to, one. They, they have, have to, to play that. Somewhere. They have to play the boy adventurer card at least once a season. It's kind of like their own personal rule. Yeah. Keeps it on target. Um, so this is obviously a jungle one. We meet a female version of the Venture Clan. Doctor Quim is a redhead scientist. Um, she's very Lara Croft. Hmm. Um, to the point where she actually does the weird handstand thing to get up on a ledge. You know that super impractical one she did in the old games which does the handstand, the splits, and then stands up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does literally that completely to, like, frame by frame in this episode. She also has twin daughters named Nancy and Drew. Yep, perfect. Oh my god. Yeah, because we've got the um the Hardy Boys knockoff. Um, and she's got a big, bulking female bodyguard. Ginny, I think. Maybe. Yeah, Vodunya. Yeah. Um, yep, so they're out there studying this rare fruit in the ancient trees with a potential to cure cancer, uh, cancer, sorry. Um, there's a weradial mystery, but the ventures end up causing enough friction, um, and fucking up so bad that they accidentally burn the whole jungle down. They're, well, and that's not even including the time they try and teach a monkey to fight. Yeah, they teach it to box for money. Which is the next episode, I think. No, no, next picture. Still the same episode. Oh, that's why they're out in the jungle in the first place. They they need to make money, and so they figure if they teach a orangutan to box, they can box, get people to pay to see it. They can get people to pay. Which is about the extent of science that Rusty is normally good for. <laughs> Their way of teaching it to box is just putting in a boxing ring against one of the twins. Yeah, just beat up one of the kids. Um, so the finale of our disc one analysis, part one of our two part. Shit that we've got going on here. Yeah. Country um, Bros goes for a long time. It's got a lot packed in. Uh, this episode's called What Goes Down Must Come Up. Uh, you know... Oh, you know when an episode's going to be good, Kyle? When it's entirely inspired by the music video to Firestarter by The Prodigy. I like that song. Yeah. Um, yeah, this episode... I feel like everyone like has an intro to that song from, like... A particular place. You know when you first heard it. 
Mine was a YouTube compilation of Frank Iroh clips. <laughs> I remember it from like Rage, which is also a weird specific memory too, because it's like staying at my grandparents' house while they're having. I'm not saying swing at parties, but they're definitely having similar get-togethers like the shit in Dr. Quim's episode. That's, that's literally a key party. <laughs> a tea? What? Key party. Where you put all your keys in the bowl and then you pick somebody's keys out and that's, and that's who, who you fuck that night. <laughs> yeah, they weren't doing that shit at my girlfriend's house. But I definitely remember being stuck there and ended up watching late night music video TV. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like that's everyone has a very distinct memory with produce fire stuff. That's weird. Um, this episode is built around Doc falling into a mysterious tunnel under the Venture com- compound. Um, Brock goes in after him and is trapped in a small nuclear fallout shelter with Dr. Entman, who is uh, Adam or Ant-Man guy. Yeah. Um, he was abandoned there by the late Jones Venture, who, as the show continues, turns out to be a piece of shit above all other things. Who, who would have thunk it? What are we looking for? What I'm just looking at the, this... Oh, you're reading the script. I'm just looking at it. He's just writing on the script. Yeah, a lot of the scanned images are just like doodles he's done on the back of other episodes. We have to show Bo a picture of their office. Can you find it? That's your job. Am I allowed? You can have a look for it, yeah. Thank you. That's all I need. That's really cool, though. Um, yeah. So while those two are trapped and sort of chatting and explaining flashbacks and stuff, the boys team up with the Order of the Triad to find them. Um, they're like our mystical party. You've got our Doctor Strange guy. You've got our Blade knockoff, apparently hunts Blackulas. And the monk guy, who I was going to Google the name of, but didn't. He's voiced by the Master Shaker, so he's very fun. Um, yep, so we have Doc, who's been taken into this society in the tunnels. They're all named Rusty, which will remind you of the vault in Fallout where everyone's called Gary. As I continue to explain this one, because it gets really Fallout vaulty. Um, yeah, so they dress like 80s music videos. Um, you see Keith Flint from Prodigy, obviously. There's the guy from Talking Heads with the big suit. The video killed the radio star guy. A different David Bowler, the one we're used to in the show. Um, my knowledge of 80s music's pretty shit at best. So those are the few I can name for you, but there's others, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, so they are 80s musician named Rusty because they've lived underground for 30 years with nothing but VH1 Classic and video cards for Rusty if there was ever a Fallout game-style nuclear war on the surface and he had to be educated through these cards. Yeah. All right, so the other key to the episode is Mother. Um, it's like if Pat from Smart House was evil. Yeah. Um, it's an AI that Jonas had made back in the day um, and eventually abandoned, which is something he likes to do. Um, the flashback to what happened to these people is just fucking wild. I love it. So, Mother wanted to have a fallout system in case nuclear war went down. Because, you know, it was during, 60s. Yeah, that was during the Cold War. It makes sense. Um, while she wanted to do that, Jonas wanted to incorporate mood-enhancing gas throughout the system to keep people chill about the whole scenario. Yeah, because you don't want him freaking out. Well, they do because, in very Fallout fashion, Mother disagrees with him so hard, she goes with the move of, I caught my kids smoking, they can smoke the whole packet. I'm going to mood-enhancing gas everyone in here in one big cloud. So, while the old team venture, like all the classic characters, um, they're all old now, obviously, 
Um, while they give a bunch of orphans a tour of the place, all the gas is let in at once. Um, it's pretty much like some scarecrow gas shit. Action Man, one of the old dudes, is firing his pistol around children. <laughs> Colonel Gentleman is scratching at the walls until his fingernails tear off of his body. Um, which would happen. Yeah. Okay, I, I feel like you'd like him because he's the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen guy. I like that guy. I know. Um, yeah, Jonah shows up in a gas mask and the team escape. Just the team. Leaving all the orphans to die inside. Yay! Dead people. Yep. It's a very fucked up scene. I love it. Um, it ends with Doc escaping. Oh, the, the whole episode ends with him escaping on a nuke that they had inside the f- fucking fallout shelter. Well, I mean, just in case. Well, it's got 30 years of septic waste in it, so it doesn't work anymore. No. Once he escapes, they pretty much just rivet the door shut with all the people still inside. That's fine. They just don't want to deal with it. <laughs> um, yeah, and Mother is put in front of the Jonas Venture video cards, and they just spend a lifespan on loop talking to that. It's so fucking weird. And awful. All those orphans went insane, Kyle. I suppose they were already insane because of the gas. They were there. Yeah. And that's the first half of this season. This. So what do you think? Thoughts? <laughs> this is absolutely fucking nuts. It, I, it, it sounds interesting, but holy shit. It's dense, and when... you do have to put up with that first parody season, but everything gets paid off. Like, literally every fucking sentence is paid off. When they were coming, how did they come up with these storylines? What was their process? It's very well documented. I can't find a picture of their office, but like it's hard to find that picture. What, what was so it? it is? They are absolute comic book geeks, right? Um, one day while hanging out writing, they were they were doing writing for the Tick, I think the animated version. Um, and on the back of one of the pages, one of them doodled like a shitty knockoff Hardy Boys. Um. Which is fun because it contradicts itself immediately because they have a mother in that first speech bubble. Yeah. Which they obviously don't have. Turns out they're clones because they're dying all the time because they're dumb as shit. Um, so he keeps drawing these silly characters all the fucking time um, while riding with his friend. And then they pretty and much... And they're just like bouncing ideas off each other. And, like and they're both nerds like us. With, coming with... up with stupid... Situations. Situations. Yeah, but and it's all deep cut references to shit. Yeah. So they continue to write fan fiction for their made up characters to the point where they decide it's ready to pitch. And they do that. And they do their nice little parody. They have an evil Walt Disney. They do a bunch of stuff. It's great. Molotov cocktails looks like shit in the original. I find intro it funny title. that they pick on Disney. Oh, here's an image of their office. There because you go. it's very similar to um, Tim Burton coming up with The Nightmare Before Christmas while working on Dumbo. Yeah. Look at it. Holy shit. Yeah, so it's packed in worse than like my nerd area. And every episode, while continuing to push this super dense comic book continuity level shit, every episode is also like fucking with a trope, like the Fallout shelters from Fallout. Or other examples. Help. Help me. You've seen this. I have. That's the Disney World episode, of course. Brisbane. Yep. I fucking. Um, You've got. 
Molotov cocktails. Yeah, I'm just who gonna... is basically. Oh yeah, um, she's just um. Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow. Everyone is clearly a representation of something else. Um, you've got. Oh no! When you've, they go to you've, New York, you've got Captain Sunshine. So, as you can see by his Alfred and Robin, you would say he's like a weird solar-powered Batman. He's voiced by Kevin Conroy, Batman of the animated series. They make him a pedophile. They don't care. And he knows? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. And That's the do- thing. A lot of the people do this because it's hilarious. And like it's, it's so well done but- that you can't point out the plot hole. And it has all that weird cynicism like the boys and the Watchmen and all that shit. But it's done out of such a place of love. Like, it's not the fact that they've completely ripped off the, like, the Fantastic Four. It's the fact that they've gone to the effort to add the kid. Yeah. And the Invisicar. No one wants to remember the Invisicar. Or the Fantasticar, whatever the fuck it was called. It was all ugly. It was shaped like a T. It was like two sidecars. But that's the thing, like... It rips it off, but it rips it off in a weird, to genuine the point way. where you know that they have like engrossed themselves in the original content. Yeah, they know their they shit, and it comes out of a place of love. Like I like everybody comes to Hanks as an episode because it's just a noir detective fucking trope city. There's a million things. <laughs> but yeah, it's just so the scare well bear, Kyle. Scare me, bear. Yeah, it's. Everything about it is like a super detailed play on and something you've seen before. They don't just put stuff in for the sake of putting it in. It has payoff. Holy However, shit. However, sometimes you might have to wait. There might be something in season one and it won't pay off until season a seven. A small gag in the second ep- second or third episode will change the fucking entire series by the time you hit season seven. It's insane. There's certainly nothing like it I've ever seen. Where is this streaming? <coughs> um, it is on 24 a 24-hour loop on the Adult Swim website. It might be on HBO Max at this point. I don't fucking know. You could buy the box set and then Season 7 because they're separate. Annoying. They're around. <coughs> I have it on iTunes a little bit as well. So what's happening with this series? It's ending. We don't season? fucking know. It got cancelled from Adult Swim. Adult Swim okayed Season 7 and 8. In One Piece, they wrote season seven expecting a season eight, and then Adult Swim just tweeted that it was cancelled. That's how they found out about it too. And then a lot of people got mad because they're like, can we please have like an ending or anything? Because like I left it on a cliffhanger because I knew they had season eight. At the time. Which is Hurts. doubly <laughs> weird because literally for the last six months, almost 12 months, it's been playing 24-7 on Adult Swim. And the Save Team Venture hashtag was huge when it started. I think a lot of us are starting to give up a little bit. But it deserves an ending. Just the amount of depth in it. Give, do you you, you th- want to pay off. Do you think they're going to finish it in another way? They don't have the funding? They're trying. They're, they're, Even they, they're right. trying to find some way to put it out because it, it's one of those... Do the boys own it or does Adult Swim own it? Look, it's and it's also believable that they could do something different because they had Christmas specials separate to the seasons. They had a Halloween episode. They had an hour-long feature because they couldn't fit everything into one season, so they made, like, an hour finale separate. So they've done specials before. Yeah. 
The Gargantua hour special. You can do another one of those and give me just enough ending to be happy. Very unsatisfying to leave with the way But there's have, been though. a lot of talk about who Hurts could pick it up if Adult Slim keep their stance. Well, they they say they're working on it too, but that's probably because everyone got super pissed at them. Hurry up and give me smiling friends while we're making demands. <laughs> but yeah, it's such a good show. It takes you a second. I didn't appreciate it until I started reading this on Comicsology. How long does it take to like get into the show? Is it like one of those? It first depends couple on how much you're willing to put into it and what the trope is of the episode. There might be somewhere you're like, "Oh fuck yeah, awesome!" because it's something you genuinely like loved as a kid. I, there's a Spider-Man character. What is he? The Brown Widow. The Brown Widow. Yeah, once they move to New York, they cash in on a lot of like everyone's in fucking New York there's City in the Marvel Universe. There's the Spider-Man. I forgot his fucking uh, crazy good death. Blind Rage's death is insanely good. Um, anyone listening to every episode of this podcast will know I have a secret love for tying a guy to the railroad tracks because it's like a weird classic, uh-huh. and I like to see it nowadays. Yeah, that was, that was great. Red Death is amazing, by the way, but you have to watch five seasons to meet the guy. Uh-huh. He's voiced by uh, Clancy Brown, Lex Luthor, and Mr. Krabs. Oh my god. And he's our Red Skull. So they've gotten some good names on this. Yeah. Kevin Conroy, um... Fuck, I lost Brock's name again. Kind of interested to see... Warburton, thank you. See that sunshine guy? Yeah, (laughs) it's wild. You know what they did? Which DC can never do at this point. They've come too far. But I loved it as an idea. The original, quote-unquote, Batman, instead of, you know, whatever ending you preference for a Batman, he moves on to be the Alfred, the Robin steps up to be the Batman, and they hire a new Robin. It's such a cool move that I've never seen... Anywhere in DC Comics. No Elseworlds, no alternate ending bullshit. I've never seen it. I kind of like it. I like the passing of the torch system that they used. Hmm. Yeah, um, in this version, he's A, a pedophile, <laughs> but B, um, the their version of Jason Todd's death traumatized this guy so fucking hard. It's insane. <laughs> so ridiculously good. I like that it was Monarch that did it. Yeah. Just, for, like, they played it in the end of season one, second last episode. They're just rattling off all these demands, because he's been put in prison, because he killed a police officer. He's been framed for the death of a police officer. And because a police officer is a person of law and not a person of the guild, that's super illegal. You can't do that. You can kill henchmen. You can't kill a police officer. So he gets put in jail. And he's got his henchman in, like, the visiting room. And it's like, um, all right, have you destroyed the cocoon? They're like, yeah, we've done that. Have you... Um, there was, like, three or four other things on the list. And it's like, have you... Have you sent Captain Sunshine the corpse of Wonder Boy? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we did that. And then, like, three seasons later, you, you saw that Captain Sunshine exists. Wonder Boy exists. And it all pays off for no fucking reason. It's just, their weird in-depthness is so insane, but it's so good to watch. Because everything gets paid off and you feel like, you, you, you clap your hands with delight when you see it. It's when you really actually fun. commit to it. Yeah. And when you see that shit, like the fucking cowboy action figures on the space station. Holy shit was that crazy later. It's everything that happens to, um, what the fuck's their father's name? 
the dead father. Jonas. Everything that happens to Jonas. So they would have was planned... a dumb joke from episode three. So they would have put a lot of thought into their season before they air him. I think season one was just a basic parody. Yeah. And I then mean, season two started didn't to like think it was gonna work. Yeah. And, and then, then it got picked season up. Season two like, starts to like pick at it. And then after that they're like, fuck it, let's just do this. And yeah, it's they did. You can tell it's two friends just shooting the shit to the point of um yeah, insanity. It's yeah, it's so wonderful. It's definitely worth picking up. I recommend it every time we do this. Well we're gonna keep going, we're gonna finish this season on another episode. <laughs> but yeah, I I'm gonna recommend it right away, obviously. Yeah. Right Very right obviously. Right. It's certainly in the wheelhouse of anyone who would be listening to a fucking podcast about comic book shit. Look, it's good to put on it in the background, but if you take the time to give it, like, an actual, like, serious watch... Oh, it makes it up to you. will not be disappointed. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. This has been us trying to do, like, a timeshare presentation about uh, a show three seasons in. <laughs> How did we do that was all right. It went crazy. It, like it paid off at the end because I actually got it, the little loose ends tied together mm. about it. But just going through episode episode, it's crazy. And then you come back to it. Look, se- it seasons interesting. season three is like let's do some origin stories and explain some shit. Mm. So there's a lot of flashbacks, especially when we will get to the orb next episode. And that's the thing because like because it started off in universe. There was no like. Or- pilot origins it just starts off like a classic boy adventure because there was no fucking scooby-doo origin story that's not how it's done but that's the thing because it's such a couple or like person-centric show they had to sit there and explain why those couples happened yeah why shit's the way it is because that's the thing the first two seasons they're all just kind of there and you just like yep cool i buy into the fact that you two are best friends it takes when the Arkham Asylum route. Like, they're like presumably three, four years into this already. Yeah, this this kind of sits there and goes back and they're like, this is why everyone knows who everyone is and why they've picked who they've picked and how, like, this is the real explanation season. And season three is when they, like, stake their ground and be like, we're not going to be a parody show. And they said, you cannot use Johnny Quest no more. Yeah, but it's okay. We get them back. Yeah. I love that they keep Johnny Z, uh, Dr. Z, like an actual Johnny Quest villain, as like a main villain. <laughs> They're like, can we just use it and not talk about it? And so like, where have they left this cliffhanger for the seven? They reveal that Rusty and the Monarch are blood relatives. Oh, and they need to... And then it's a hard cut after that reveal, and that's all we've got. <laughs> like the Sopranos? Yeah. Or like blood fucking drive. Or happy. Or any other sci-fi show. We, well, how would you like them if they can't bring them back as a TV show? What would you like them? What other medium? Uh, just the hour-long special. Would you Even like if they stream it on HBO Max? Or but whatever. if they they couldn't, would you like it to be continued in like a comic book or a graphic? It would fit if they drew it super golden age, like old-timey comic style. It would make sense, and it would fit the. Could this fit in like a like it into a, like a South Park fractured butthole? I don't know if they could do a game because no. no one in it's capable. No, you know what the problem is? There's no balance. Every fighting game, like, for every quick character is weaker than the powerful characters. You know that shit? Yeah. Um, you pick Brock and you win. Oh, okay. So you're kind of fucked on. They've put characters from this into video games, but you couldn't make Adventure Bros video game. Yeah, Brock is in, like, a poker game by Telltale. It's really fucking strange, man. So is Ash from Evil Dead, and 
Gladys runs it. Tell yeah, Gladys from Portals it? Yeah, it's fucking wild, dude. We'll the, and the dude, and the little fucking claptrap from Bioshock's one of the players. We'll show you after. It's, yeah, yeah. It's crazy. That's such a good tangent. But that's a whole other... <laughs> I'm cracked. Alright, there you go. Are you going to wrap up the episode, or are you yeah. going to do it? Do you have any final thoughts before we finish? No. Are you good? You happy? I'm happy. Do you enjoy having Adventure Bros around my house all the time? Yes. It's constantly streaming. Yes. I'm pissed off that Sideshow did premium formats for it way before my time. Now they're gone. Oh, they're fucking so gone. I've never even seen one except for the images in the book. No, I know what you're more upset about. The t-shirt subscription service. I mean, yeah, it's all, all their gift shops are dead in the water because it's been dead for a very long time. Yeah. I want merch, damn it. I need merch. You've seen my house. Don't you hate it when you get to like the end? Like, uh, yeah, have you been to one of those shows like, I where it's like it's had its time and then you're coming back to it? See, I rocked up. It always put me off because of the long runtime. That's why I don't fuck with a lot of anime franchises because I'm like, that is so many episodes to commit to. Um, I bought like the original box set, which is seasons one through six. And I was, I was like, I'll give it a go one day, whatever. I watched, like, the first two seasons, and I wasn't really picking it up, but I bought the art book on, on Comixology, and because it's so fucking in-depth about every episode, and you really get a feel for the creators, I started to click, and then I started to really, like, like the show a lot more, because it's like, it's it looks and like a Saturday morning cartoon, and then the book is like, hey... Wait, pay, te- pay attention. I'm like, yeah, okay. And I do it. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, it's one of those things that if you don't take it seriously... You'll you'll miss it. You'll miss everything. It's a blink and you miss you it. You actually have to watch it and, like... It Easter it, eggs and fan theories itself. Because I... We'll be, like, cooking or something. No, but I have, like, a terrible memory or I'm only watching it in passing or something. And something will happen where... Someone with a better memory than me will turn around and be like, oh my god, that's a callback to, like, the second episode from the third season. Like, that's insane. And I'm like, yeah, that's insane. Do you remember in Arkham City when Joker is Clayface, but, like, an earlier time with Joker when you turn on detective mode, he doesn't have a skeleton because he's Clayface? Yeah. That sort of, like, foreshadowing set-up Easter eggy shit? That's all this show is forever. It's just, it's not a show. It's just a ball of self-referencing Easter eggs. Happy Easter, everybody. Hey. There you go. Pray you subscribe. Yeah. Peace out. Yeah, it's definitely really good. Uh, yeah, and then I watched all of season six, and then they were like, season seven, and I'm like, I'm on time for this one. That's exciting for me. In Australia, where you don't do that. And then they were like, we're getting no more after this. I was like, oh, are you serious? Typical. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, remember to subscribe to hear the second half of this season next week. Probably. I, I hope so. Perhaps. Well, now that I've said it, I've probably jinxed. That's why I had to say probably. Yeah. I've been your host, Toby Paula. Thank you, Mr. Jenkins, for... Thank you. For this. <laughs> for finding out about Venture Bros. Yep. Um, and thank you, Producer Kai, for um the editing. Yeah. And the uploading. Good thing I didn't have anything else to do this week. Yep. Bye now. Yep. Thank you for listening. All that stuff. Bye. Class dismissed. <laughs>